So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you have an iBible or some other type of Bible, you can open that up as well. Philippians chapter 2. Um, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard a little bit of my story. I lived the first 17 years very much uh, apart from Jesus. Uh, in fact, trying to kind of build my own kingdom. And because of that, I've got a lot of stupid, stupid stories. I've done a lot of dumb things, especially not entirely limited to the first 17 years of my life, but I did uh, seem to amass a lot of stupid stories in the first 17 years of my life and put myself through some pain that I maybe didn't need to go through as much uh, and thankful for Jesus and his saving work. But part of my process of meeting Jesus was... Um, you know, through a handful of different decisions I made, I found myself with 200 hours of community service to do. And so uh, I remember uh, 17 years old, I'm going, I'm working at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, I'm from Minnesota, I was up in Minnesota. And I'm out in the woods and I'm teaching these kids um, who, who literally kind of grew up in the inner city, some have never left the inner city, I'm teaching them how to start fires, teaching them how to, you know, fish and different things. And... There was something about that that began a process of softening my heart. Hearing stories of people, many of who were immigrant families, whose stories were different than mine. Hearing backgrounds and cultures of people who were different than mine. And serving people's needs instead of just thinking about my own needs and really building relationships from people with a very different story than mine began to soften my heart. You see, I hadn't even met Jesus yet, but this was a step in softening my heart to meet Jesus. And what I found is that my life is better when I'm not at the center of it. It's like, hey, a little confirmation, music. Uh, my life is better when I'm not at the center of it. I don't know who's got the music going, but it's, we're going with it. Um, you know, our, our natural tendency as human beings is to... <laughs> now my sound's off. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks for your flexibility this morning, what we do with our kids and our families. Like, give the flexible finger. You got to make sure it's the right finger. The flexible finger, Right. Uh, we're trying to keep it, all our kids in line with the get them to the destination, a good attitude, right? So what I learned is that my life is better when I'm not at the center of it, me, myself, and I, but learning to put him and them and stepping into other people's stories to serve, I found my life is better. You see, our natural tendency as human beings, and I fall in this category as well, is to want to be Served. Anyone like to be served? I like to be served, right? I like my customer service to happen in a timely, mashing, uh, timely fashion, thank you, and every, all the food to be right and all the things to be cooked. I like the lights to turn green right when I arrive to them, right? When I'm on the highway, I want the Moses anointing. Let's part this traffic. Let's part the Red Sea. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone prayed? Lord, part the traffic. Come on. I'm coming through. I got places to go, right? When, when we're at work, we tend to want people to see what a great job we're doing and to say, hey, can I help you with this project? I see you're doing an awesome job. Let me just tell you how amazing you are. Now, nothing wrong with a little encouragement. We need that sometimes, right? Or we want people 
to decipher our wants and needs without having to communicate them to anyone else. Right? We want our spouses to, to somehow discern exactly what we're wanting in the moment or our friends to know exactly what we want in the moment. Right? But the paradox of God's kingdom is that joy doesn't come from being served, but rather joy comes from serving where Jesus is serving. Let me say that again. The paradox of God's kingdom is that joy doesn't come from being served, but joy comes from serving and doing it with Jesus. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. Why is that? Why is it? I would propose that when Jesus said, follow me, right, we just want church services and to sit at Jesus' feet forever, but his feet move somewhere, right? Jesus said, follow me. It wasn't just to a church service, but he's, he's saying, hey, after the church service, follow me, because where does Jesus move to? He moves to people. He had a rhythm of connecting with the Father and getting filled and then going to give out. And connecting and getting filled and going to give out. Jesus' feet, when he says, follow me, move to people that he is serving. And I believe if we are with Jesus serving where he is, joy, which is this theme of our sermon series, is the result of that. <clears throat> because wherever the presence of God is, there is joy. Psalm 16, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's joy in serving because serving is often where Jesus is. Today, we're going to increase our joy. Anyone want a little more joy? I know we got some summer tiredness, right? A lot of people on vacation, right? But I think we need a little more joy today. I need more joy. We're going to get joy as we look to our serving Savior today. We're also going to learn how to follow in his footsteps. And then thirdly, we're going to learn how not to serve in our own strength, but his strength. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. This is a little bit longer passage, so bear with me. Starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud and not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I'm going to read a few more verses. Y'all good? Here we go. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may too be cheered. There's our theme of joy. You're going to keep seeing that word by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he's served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in your service to me. Okay, quite the passage. I am picturing, though, you know, Paul would send these letters to churches, and, you know, someone would have to carry them, and someone would read them. And so I'm picturing, you know, we just read a long passage, but uh, that was what the early church would be like, you know, reading Paul's letters to the congregation. So I want to break this letter down and, and um, some of what we just went through down a little bit. You see, in this first number of verses, what we see is a God who serves. We see a God who serves. Guys, this passage sets our God apart from any other religion. You see, when we think of God, so often people think of God as distant People think of God as maybe he's holy, maybe he even created the world, maybe he's good, but we all know we're not always that good. And so we picture God as distance, but what this shows us is a picture of God who sees us, you and me, in our sin, who sees us in our struggles, who sees us in our fears and our failures. And instead of standing back and just judging, what does he do? He steps in. He steps into our pain and he steps into the world in the form of a servant. Now this is mind-blowing. This would be offensive in some religions. I could be persecuted or even put to death in some countries for believing that a holy God would come and save mankind by taking on human form. Let's see a little bit more detail from this passage what Paul is talking about. He says equality, Jesus considered equality with God not something to be grasped. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not God. What it means is that Jesus did not hold on to the prerogatives and the privileges of being God. Jesus did not hang on to his divine rights, but rather Jesus laid aside his privileges so that he could step into the pain of a broken and hurting world and ultimately serve them. It said he took, that's why it says he emptied himself. It said he took on 
Now, that doesn't mean he made an exchange. He didn't lay aside his godhood to become human. You see, he's fully God, and then he took on humanity. He's full, we believe as Christians that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus took humanity on himself. And so let me say it like this. In order to save broken humans like ourselves, Jesus became a human. He subjected himself to the pain and rejection of this world. He was beaten and wounded. He was rejected. He was spit on because he took the form of a human. That's like you becoming a speck of dust. You know, I mean, that doesn't even compare. We cannot fathom a holy God becoming human. It's like us becoming a speck of dust, right? <clears throat> then it said he took on the form of a servant. That word literally means a bond servant. You see, he didn't come to be, that Greek word means, he and he didn't even just come to be a servant. <clears throat> According to what that Greek word means, he became a bondservant. Literally, he, he, he made himself like one that is indebted or owned by another. And then it said he was obedient to death, even the death on a cross. This is the extent of showing what Jesus did. I use this ladder a few times in the sermon. <clears throat> Jesus went from the highest rung of heaven. Y'all look good up here, by the from up here. Jesus went from the highest rung. He was on the throne in heaven. And he came down, not just into the earth. He came down among the poor. But he didn't just come down among the poor. He came down to the lowest rung, being beaten and spit on and mocked. And he got into the lowest place. And he died a brutal death on a cross next to thieves. He died the death of a sinner, though he was without sin. That is what Jesus did for us. He stepped down out of heaven into the messiness of our lives, and that's good news for us. Some of you today, you need Jesus to step into your mess and my mess we need Jesus to step into our pain and forgive us. We need Jesus to step into our body's brokenness and heal us. We need Jesus to step into our addiction and set us free. We need Jesus to step into our loneliness and be the brother and savior that never leaves or forsake us. And for the rest of us who are maybe not struggling today, but we are following Jesus we need to be reminded of what he did for us. Because you see, when we come to church, we don't just do it because we should. We come to church and we worship and we lift our hands and we sing and we're willing to clap and we're willing to shout because this isn't just emotion we go through. We're remembering what he did for us. So Jesus, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my worship. That's why the Bible says shout to the Lord, right? This is who our God is. There's no other God. There's no other religion like that. He comes, and guess what? He serves you and me. And we come to church and we worship. What does he do? He steps into this place, and he meets our needs, and he encourages us, and he feeds us with his word. Jesus right now is taking the posture of a servant and speaking to different ones of you and filling different ones of you right now. That's who our God is. And so Jesus came 
to the lowest of place. There was nowhere too low for him to go. And the Holy Spirit invites us to do the same. You see, that word Christian means little Christ. And we're going to see in our passage in the bookends, chapter, verse 5 and verse 12 of the, of the section we just looked at, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit through Scripture is inviting us to do the same. You see, verse 5 starts out with the phrase, uh, it, it says this, have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus. So it talks about what Jesus did, how he came out of heaven, how he got low and took the form of a servant. And Paul is saying, have this same mindset that Jesus had among yourself. And then in verse 12, at the end of talking about how Jesus came in the form of a servant, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you always have obeyed, now not only in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That word, therefore, connects what Jesus did and therefore how we should be living in our lives. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That word work, that phrase, work out your salvation, it does not mean work for your salvation. It's not saying we need to do works and go to church so that we can get saved. No, no, no. Jesus came down to save us. What it means is that if we have been saved, if we claim to know Christ, then the fruit of that should be working out slowly over time, although very imperfectly, it should be working out in our lives. Y'all tracking with me? We get salvation and then we need to go through a process of sanctification in our lives that, that what we're a new creation, but that gets worked out then over time in our lives and our actions. So Paul is saying to us, let Jesus be worked out in every area of your life. Learn to take the posture and the mindset of Jesus, taking the posture of servants wherever we go. And, and, and here the scripture, Paul is saying, work it out for yourselves. He's saying, don't, even if I'm absent, this isn't my responsibility, Paul's saying as the pastor, to see you work out your salvation. That is all of our responsibility as Christians is to work out Christ-likeness and take the posture of a servant in every area of our life. So Paul is saying, no, no, that's all of our job to work that out. And so here's how we see kind of this in the bigger context of Scripture. So... If the Bible says if we are in Christ, then we are a new, guess what? You're cleansed. That's good news. So if you're here and you have Jesus, guess what? You're cleansed. You're pure. You're righteous. The Bible says you're holy. You are a saint. You are sons and daughters. You have a father who is royal. We are adopted. We are a royal priesthood. Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm royalty. <laughs> do you believe it? I'm not just hyping you up. This is what the Bible says. It says we are a royal priesthood. You have incredible value and you are a new creation. So before God, we're holy, we're righteous. But in the world, Scripture calls us to take on the posture of servants. So before God, we're holy and righteous. But then before people, we work out our righteousness and live it out 
by coming low, right? So let me illustrate this a little more even thoroughly. I've got two things with me today. I've got my robe, my Joseph's uh, robe of favor and royalty or sash, right? So I got this, and then I've got my, my servant's gloves here, right? So in the world, right, oftentimes in our culture, it tells us that we shouldn't serve, we need to throw that aside because we need to focus on climbing the ladder of success and climbing the ladder of working harder because we can find value and identity and worth if we're successful. But you see, in Jesus' kingdom, it's different. In Jesus' kingdom, because when we get saved, we already got it. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach the whole time with this on. In Jesus' kingdom, we're a new creation. We already are royalty. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Did you know right now you're seated with Christ? Jordan, we got insurance in case I fall. No, I'm kidding. Right now, you are seated with Christ. You're on the throne with your father. You're perfectly loved if you're, if you're a believer. Because I don't need to work for my value, but I have it in Christ, therefore, I can come down into the posture of a servant and recognize that like Jesus, there's no job too dirty. There's no need too small. There's no person too messy. That if like our Savior, he can come down, then I can come down and serve those around me and get my hands dirty. That's what scripture is calling us to do when it says, have this mind among yourselves like Jesus. So how would this work out? What if in our marriages, Instead of vying for affection and control, we said, how can we work together as a team to build one another up? Or in our friendships, or even church membership, instead of hoping that I am seen, instead of hoping that that friend or that church member reaches out to me at the right time, and then I'll know it's God, and then I'll know it's the perfect church, and then I'll know, right, that I have their good friends or whatever, what if we see others and go to them, right? And, and take the posture and saying in our friendships or maybe those of you guys who are single living with roommates, what if we took the posture around the house or around the apartment and say, hey, where can I serve? Where can I serve around this house? Where can I serve? Can I help you? Can I clean something for you? Can I bless you? Can I encourage you today, roommates? Or what if we, we came to church saying, God, because Jesus is gonna serve me today in worship, how can I serve my neighbor, right? What if we came with the posture of a servant? Another way this can work out in our world is by being advocates. Advocates for those who are powerless. Advocates for those who are, have need. Advocates for those who have experienced injustice. Whether it's for single moms, victims of abuse, the unborn, underprivileged, homeless, we can be advocates for those around us. And you see, this changes even 
Well, we have this mindset how we interpret the world around us. You see, how about Roe versus Wade being overturned? You see, on one hand, I, you know, we believe life because of our scripture convictions begins at conception. And so in some ways, this is a, a, a step forward. But at the same time, if we're taking the posture of a servant, we'll stop to recognize the real pain and the real fears that women face, the real situations that some women are in that would cause them sometimes outside their control to be deathly afraid to bring a child into this world. And so we as a church, we can't just celebrate some platitude. We have to take the form of a servant and say, if we're going to fight for this, then we need to be willing to take the form of a servant and say, well, who in my community or who in my neighborhood needs help? How can I invest in the next generation? How can I invest in a family who maybe um, has needs or is underprivileged? How can I step in and be the church and not just demand that the world lives like they're saved, but step in and show the world what it is to be saved? You see, the kingdom is a both and. We can't just declare and hope that the world is more righteous and not serve the world like Jesus did. We need to be full of truth and grace just like Jesus did, right? We need to be willing to step into our communities and step into world events with the attitude and posture of servants, right? Or how about work? What if at work we came to work, and instead of climbing up the ladder, which there's nothing wrong with going after a promotion and working hard, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But instead of just climbing up the ladder, what if we came to work with our gloves on and came to our boss who maybe we don't like or maybe he's a pain and say, hey, how can I support you up there? How can I hold you up? How can I encourage you? How can I serve you? And then if we are over or leading some others, we come down the ladder and say, hey, instead of just telling you what to do, how are you doing? Let me step into your world. Let me listen. Let me check in on you. This is what scripture is inviting us to do, to take the posture of a servant. What this means is, like our Savior who went to the cross, who went to the lowest place. There was no place too low for him. It means, I believe the invitation is that there should be no place too low for us. I'm reminded of a guy named Henry Nowen, who is a professor and teacher. He taught at, a Catholic guy, taught at places like Notre Dame, Yale, Harvard, very influential but the last 10 years of his life, he realized his heart had gone astray from his message. Not totally, but just he got some feedback from some of his peers. He still loved God, but man, I feel like you're getting a little disconnected. And so he took the last 11 years of his life and lived in a community for the mentally handicapped. And some of his greatest writings came from those years. Some of his greatest revelations about Christ came from those years serving among the disadvantaged. And he shared in some of his books um, 
just how humbling it was to go from great prestige to being unknown and taking the lowest of place, but it's there he encountered Jesus. You see, God, you may not be called to leave everything you're doing and step into a place of the disadvantage entirely necessary to throw, to, 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 to leave your job, although maybe some of you are, but that we can do that wherever. In fact, I think God puts us in places to work this out in us. God will put us in places in our workplace or our marriage or with our roommates or with our life group that will push our buttons and force us to choose whether we're going to serve or whether we're going to be served. doesn't have to be one or the other, but you know what I mean. Right? So in our marriage, the first couple of years, man, I thought I, thought I was doing great. You know, I'm like, man, I'm crushing this. She, you know, I'm the best husband in the world. I was like trying to be real attentive. But I didn't fundamentally understand my wife's desires or needs. You know, I just assume she's like me, right? <laughs> you ever go in a relationship like that with someone and you're like, oh, they're just probably just like me and want everything I want. So I'm giving her everything that I would want. I'm blessing her in those ways and tell them to find out she's not that blessed by it. And I'm thinking, well, what's wrong with you? Right? <laughs> Come to realize I needed to take the low place and learn and ask questions and pursue. God worked out Christ-likeness in me through that work, and he puts us in the same for others. Now, not only is Jesus call us to take on the form of a servant just like he did, but in God's kingdom we learn that serving is actually the place of honor. Serving is a place of honor. What we see in verse um, 9, 10, and 11 is that after Jesus took the lowest place, God the Father exalted him back to the highest place. You see, what the Father did is he honored Jesus the servant. And throughout Scripture, we actually see God doing the same. And we actually see Paul doing the same here who wrote this. In verse 18 to 30, Paul is sharing two examples of people who served, and what he's doing is honoring them. For example, Timothy, Paul said, I want him to send him to you, and there's no one else like him who shows genuine concern for the welfare of others. He's an example of one who seeks the kingdom over himself. He's proven, he's tested, and he's served over the course of many years. Paul is honoring Timothy before the church because Timothy is taking the form of a servant. Paul is also honor, honoring Epaphroditus. Any of you having kids soon? There's a name for you, Epaphroditus. He's saying Epaphroditus is my fellow co-worker and fellow soldier. He's a messenger, and he cares for the needs of people. In fact, he's so thoughtful of others, he's longing to see you. He, Paul is saying he's deserving of honor because he almost died for the work of the faith so he could build others up. You see, in God's kingdom, service is actually the place of honor. Now, I know sometimes in different churches, we honor the person with the biggest title. We honor, and then, you know, there's something okay about honoring someone's gifting, but so often we build churches like we build the world. We honor the most anointed person, and everyone should just do whatever they say. But in Jesus' kingdom, he flips it upside down. 
Those who wishes you to be great must be the greatest servant. For example, Matthew 23, Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the world, we honor people based on their title or based on their degree or based on the amount of money they have. But in God's kingdom, we honor people because they're made in the image of God. In the world, we honor people because they look like us. In God's kingdom, we honor all people of every race, of every ethnic background, of every, you know, wherever they're coming from because they're made in God's image. And so what Paul is doing here is he's creating a culture of honor. He's creating a culture within the church that honors and acknowledges other people. He's saying, hey, instead of just coming to focus on your own needs, let, let's build one another up. Let's have an encouragement party here today. Paul is saying, hey, Epaphroditus, I want to send him to you. He's, I want to honor him. Timothy, I want to send him to you. This person is a person of honor. We as a church are to have a culture of honoring other people. Not just because they're a leader, no, because they're made in the image of God. To honor the highest, but also the lowliest. We want to have a culture of honor. So I want to honor a couple people here today. Jordan and Ashley Perez. Man, you guys have been around literally since the beginning. You have served in roles uh, that were behind the scenes, that were in front of the scenes, that were often challenging, and you guys are some of the most consistent, thankful people I know. I want to honor Jordan Ashley Perez because you guys have literally made so many things happen behind the scenes of this church. They may not always be the ones on stage, but they're the ones helping make things happen every week. Braden Stewart, come on. This guy for years has served needs, served as a life group leader. Then recently, you know, we're rebuilding, coming out of COVID, uh, and said, hey, we have some needs in our band. Braden said, okay, I, I know I'm leading a life group, but I can step in for a season. And came out of the woodwork. Who knew he could? He was multi-talented. Uh, this guy stepped in and took the form of a servant. Thank you, Braden. Brian and Jen Neese. You guys have stepped in to difficult situations in our church, into people's lives who had real needs. You've supported my wife and I. You've pastored and cared for many people in this church, and you're willing to not only lead, but you're also willing to lead a kickball game after church. Thank you, Brian. Thank you guys for your work. I could go around. I mean, there's no way I could hit everyone here. So many of you are serving behind the scenes. Thank you, Miguel and Ineth Hernandez. Ineth, thank you for administrating a bunch of uh, this park day today. I could keep going around this church and honoring you one by one because uh, Jerry, I'm getting here before church so often to serve, to set up. Isaac Amargo, thank you guys. McFullers, Yosha Harris, I could literally, every one of you, I want to honor you because you help make this happen and make a way for God's kingdom to move in the lives of people. Now, in the place of honor and in the place of serving, Scripture invites us to serve from a place of joy. That joy would be the result of our serving. I believe we get joy actually through giving. 
But also, um, Scripture invites us to do it with joy. Verse 14 and 15 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? There's a word for my kids. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Kind of. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among uh, whom you shine as lights into the world. I love this passage. I love the picture that it's painting. Right? Well, we do things without grumbling or complaining. We are like bright lights in a dark world. He didn't just say, when you serve, but he's saying, when you have a good attitude about it. Because you can serve and grumble, right? Grumbling is that inward resentment. uh, Arguing and complaining is that outward discontentment and discord with others. When we not only serve, but when we do it with a good attitude, we are an effective witness to the world around us. This was a big deal to God in the Old Testament. He kept talking about Israel's grumbling and complaining all the way through the desert, right? And I believe that's part of why some didn't make it fully into the promised land. Our attitudes matter, right? And then you see Paul in verse 17 and 18 saying, I have the opportunity to pour out my life. You see, Paul is an example See, man, I'm literally pouring out my life for people, and joy is happening. Now, to illustrate, um, to illustrate serving with a good attitude, I was thinking of maybe the difference between Chick-fil-A and Taco Bell. Now, I like them both. You'll see me at Taco Bell sometimes. You also see me at Chick-fil-A sometimes, right? But um, Man, I, I leave Chick-fil-A feeling like I can figure out what I might possibly like. Man, people are like seeing me and they're like coming over to me and they're like trying to figure out what I might possibly need. And then every time I say thank you, they're like, no, no, it's my pleasure. I actually got a lady two weeks ago. She didn't say it's my pleasure. I'm gonna tell management. Uh, no, <laughs> I leave encouraged. I'm like, wow, I, I feel built up, you know? I leave Taco Bell feeling like I might have sinned, right? I'm like, ah. Oh, I feel that food didn't do me good. Now, Chick-fil-A is actually not that much better as far as the health, right? Uh, but, but the difference isn't necessarily the food. It's a culture of honor, right? You see, the background of Chick-fil-A, the owner, Truett Cathy, was at a Ritz-Carlton, and they kept saying, thank you, it's my pleasure. And he thought, what if we started a fast food establishment, which isn't a high-dollar place, but every person that walked in felt like they were important? That was Lydia's philosophy of of creating Chick-fil-A, right? What if every person that walked in the door was treated like they were royalty, that was treated like they were at a Ritz-Carlton? And so what they did is they trained a culture of serving with joy. Did you know that serving with joy is a choice that can be trained more than it is a feeling we have? Y'all tracking with me? Serving with joy is a choice we make and are trained in more than it is a feeling we have. Let me break this down. In our friendships and in our marriages and in our workplace, serving with joy at our job is a choice we make, not a feeling you have on Monday morning. 
right? So that's what we try and do with our kids. We use the phrase quickly, cheerfully, and completely. How do you obey? Quickly, cheerfully, and completely. That doesn't mean they don't have a voice. It doesn't mean they don't have a word. It doesn't mean they don't have input, especially as they're getting older. But generally, the attitude of how we want to honor God and one another is quickly, cheerfully, and completely. And it is imperfectly bearing fruit. We've had to double down on that a little bit coming into the summer. But it is bearing fruit. Um, joy, I'm sorry, serving is a source of joy, and we also get to do it with joy. And let me just end by saying, what is our source of joy ultimately? Because serving with joy can be tiring. Paul says in verse 13, he says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will, which is the heart, and to work, which is the hand. It is God who gives you the inner strength and God who gives you the outer strength to be and to take the posture of servants wherever we go. Who gives it to us? God gives it to us. We do it. It's hard work. We got to get our tail ends out of bed and show up on time and bless people, right? And work hard. We got we we to work harder than people around us because we're Christians. We got the Holy Spirit in us, right? It's hard work, but God works in us, according to verse 13, to do it. Our tendency is to try and do it on our own, and we go into one or two ditches. Either we're lazy or we just say, work hard, work hard, work hard, give out, give out, give out, give out. And all of a sudden we crash because we give out without ever being filled. Jesus' way of working hard, he says, come all you who are weary and tired and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. If my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Now, Jesus' yoke is not talking about egg yolks. It's not talking about getting yoked. It's talking about a plowing yoke. So what Jesus is talking about is not just, hey, come and have a retreat, although that's part of it. What Jesus is talking about is saying, hey, come out into the plowing field. Come work hard, but do it with me. What he's saying is the younger oxen would yoke up to the older oxen, and the older oxen would do the weight of it, and the younger oxen would learn the rhythms of the older oxen. So Jesus is saying, come into my yoke, and I'm going to show you the rhythms of working hard amidst unforced grace. I'm going to show you the rhythm of working hard while still being filled. I'm going to show you the rhythm of giving out while taking time to care for yourself as well. I'm going to show you the rhythm, and you're going to bear fruit that you couldn't bear on your own because instead of going in your own strength, you came into my yoke and my strength. Serving can be tiring. Serving can be vulnerable. If you serve for a while at your work or even in the church, whether it's this church or another church, you know that putting yourself out, serving people who can disappoint you, serving people in friendships or in marriage that can hurt you, when you serve and come under, it opens yourself up to be hurt. It opens yourself up to be wounded. And I'll just be honest, there's been times as a pastor, I've just been like, God, I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to be wounded again. I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to 
be frustrated against her in this church. And there's a sweet place of Jesus' yoke where I'm saying, I'm not pastor in this church. Jesus is. I'm not ultimately the one meeting people's needs. Jesus is. Now, you may not be a pastor, but I bet you've felt that in relationships. I bet you've been disappointed and hurt and frustrated. I bet you've been misunderstood before. I bet you'd lay yourself down and gave yourself to a ministry or gave yourself to something and didn't see the fruit you hoped to see. And our human tendencies want to pull back and say, God, I gave it all for a season. I laid my life down. I took the low road for a season, but, but I'm, I'm good now. I'm just going to be a good Christian and kind of go through the motions. It's in that place of Jesus' yoke. It's in that place of being in his word. It's in that place of being honest with him about our pains. And in that stillness with him, he restores our soul. I took time yesterday to get up to the mountains to get my soul restored. God wants to restore our soul so that we can boldly serve, so that we can be refreshed along the way. God wants to fill us as we give out. Just to end with a story, um, years ago when we moved here and started the church, we did this thing called Love Fullerton, which we still do. It's a citywide serve day. And so we came in and I got to know the people leading and I said, hey, we're a new church. Give us the worst jobs. <laughs> Give us the worst jobs you got that no one else wants to do. And so one of the jobs that we did, I was a part of and a few others, uh, we did a, a hoarding house and so uh, I remember stepping in, and, you know, there was all kinds of stuff in there. There was food from decades ago. There was turtles, not just figurine turtles. There was real turtles, like real turtles like everywhere. There's turtles crawling around the house. Uh, it, it smelled. It was nasty. We actually did a house uh, a couple years ago as well, if some of you guys remember that. But uh, in this house... We're cleaning, and we're cleaning, and it smells, and it's starting to get cleaner and cleaner. And underneath a bunch of things, there's a sweet elderly lady who couldn't care for a house anymore, obviously. We found a list that she had written years ago, and it was her list of dreams. And what we had the privilege of doing, because it was truly a privilege, was coming out of our homes that we're able to care for because we have strength and energy. We got to step into her home and step into her mess, and we're able to help her clean up some mess enough that she was able to find her dreams again. And I think serving does just that. It says, You are so important even in your mess, that I'm willing to step out of my comfort and lay aside my privilege to step into your world and at times your mess and help you discover the love of God for you and help you discover the purpose for you. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we get to do as a church in our workplaces, in our homes, in our friendships, in our life groups, in our church. We get to take the posture of a servant. If we get the band to come up, Just a couple questions as we end. One, how might Jesus want to step into 
your world today. I would bet that some of us, we feel like a mess today. I've felt like that before. I felt like that at one point this week. I'm like, God, I just feel like a mess. How might Jesus want to step into your mess and forgive your sin and bring healing to you and set you free? How might Jesus want to step into your world? And then secondly, how can we, what does it mean to take the posture of a servant this week and step into someone else's world? That might be in your workplace. That might be at home. That might be with a family member. That might be in the church. How would you live differently this week if your posture changed and you took the form of a servant? We're just going to prayerfully just sit and let Jesus come.